I'm DJ Psyched, and you're listening to the Get Psyched Podcast. Let's get psyched about reading. I'm DJ Psyched, this is the Get Psyched Podcast, and today we're getting psyched about reading again. We're back in the Harry Potter series. This is book six, almost done with it. This book, while not quite as long as some of the other ones, it definitely took me a while to get through this one. I spent a little over three weeks reading it, and unfortunately, I ended up losing access to the ebook that I read this on and took notes in. So this won't be as detailed as the last one was, but there's still plenty to discuss that I have from memory. Uh, this is just going to be a bit more free-handed, well, big themes and, and moments as opposed to specific quotes. But anyhow, yeah, a lot has happened in this book, and I'm I'm pretty shook with this story. I think it was really different from the others. Let's just get into it. The sixth one in the series, Harry Potter and the Half-Blood Prince. Again, the genre is very fantasy, science fiction, elements of drama and mystery in there. This book was only 691 pages, which, because of the last few, is the only reason I would say only. That is still a pretty long book. Uh, they get so long at the end of this series. Like I, They started out as normal books when Harry Potter started, but now they're intensively long stories, which I don't fully mind because they're good stories. They're incredibly long, yes, almost 700 and some even more, but they never feel drawn out when you're reading them. Although they're very long and intricate stories and you might spend a really long time reading it, you never really feel like, oh, this is way longer than it needs to be. It kind of works out. Like you enjoy, I at least enjoy every moment that I'm reading of them and I know a lot of people do. So very long story, but still a good one. I'll give a short summary of this story. This is the least Harry Potter formatted story yet, even more so than the last one, because I definitely said that last time as well. But in this story, it's very, very different from the other ones. And that's a theme that I'm noticing in the last few books. We're straying away from what we got to find as the norm in the beginning. And it's straying even further and further every book because the whole world is changing in their eyes. Like Voldemort was kind of coming back in the first few, obviously. We had themes of Voldemort in every book so far. But Voldemort's actually back and things are actually happening. And the entire wizarding world knows about it. And the whole world has to react to it. So obviously things are changing a lot in their world. Let's just get into the story summary real quick. Alright, so in this story, Harry gets a textbook from his potions class, and it's full of all these notes from a mysterious half-blood prince. That's the name he finds in the back of the book. He ends up being at the top of his class because all of these notes he finds are incredibly helpful. They help him make good potions and come up with, like, new spells and hexes and stuff to use. And But Hermione stays skeptical about the book, and she's very curious about what its purpose might be, but Harry just he ignores it and continues to use the book. And he never really tells anyone about this book, not anyone of authority anyways, not even Dumbledore. And at this point in the series, Dumbledore is having all these secret meetings with Harry. And once again, only Ron and Hermione get to know about these, being his closest friends. All the while, on top of all this stuff happening, Harry is growing very skeptical of Draco, or Draco, <laughs> because he's convinced that the young boy is now a Death Eater, but his friends think that that's totally bogus and that his accusation is ridiculous. So yeah, that's that's kind of my basic summary with <laughs> as few spoilers as possible. But the rest of this discussion is definitely likely to be full of spoilers, so that's just a warning. If you're like me and this is all brand new to you, you might not want to listen to this, but if you know the story, then c continue on. I'm sure you know all this stuff. 
so the social relevancies of this one, there's just so, like I, I've said this so much, there's so much to this story. Like I read this story starting almost an entire month ago now. And so <laughs> it was kind of hard to sit down and try to remember everything. I'm sure I left out some some details and some important stuff, but I tried my best. So anyways, <laughs> getting into it, we get a lot more love stories from this one than ever before in the series. I mean, Ginny, Guinea, however you say that. Well, she's had a few boyfriends in the story, at least that we've heard of. We've heard of past ones, and she's dating Dean, I think, through the bulk of this story. Ron is starting to snog up with this weird girl, Lavender or something. And <laughs> Harry and Hermione, they both have feelings, respectively, for one of these two Weasleys. It's, it's just this whole thing, right? In the story, you get a lot of the love story. It's, it's rooted in the story everywhere. It's just a big underlying theme in this one. And it's kind of uh, cute that it was included in the story. It really reminds you that they're still just regular kids and they're still going about regular normal people problems, although they're also worried about dying <laughs> and Voldemort coming back. But they're still regular people, which, I don't know, it's cute. I will say, though, I was incredibly frustrated with Ron for a good while in this book because I just think Hermione deserves way better. <laughs> I mean, they've, they've dropped so many not-so-subtle hints to each other in the last few books that I'm just like he's a dick but <laughs> aside from that I mean it was actually kind of nice being mad at Ron this time because like I said Harry's been very moody in the last few books but I think Harry didn't display any of that in this book which was really nice but but Ron was annoying as shit all right <laughs> so then also another thing going on in this book there's Dumbledore's meetings with Harry that I was talking about and also Dumbledore's going on these very secret getaways and turns out to be intertwined with the meeting purpose but he also ends up giving Harry a super important mission um, involved in his stories, right? He's sending Harry in to uh, look at all these stories to look into Voldemort's past. And I thought it was a really interesting thing, the way that it happened and the way that Dumbledore was presenting the information to Harry. It was like he was trying to tell him that Voldemort's history was important, like he needed to understand Voldemort. I don't know. It it was weird. Like, I get it, like why he should know the history and then the the Hercrux thing at the end, you end up finding out that it is very relevant that he know most of this stuff. I don't know. I mean, knowing Voldemort's history, I guess know your enemies. I don't know what the... I really, like, I'm trying to find exactly how to put it, but it just makes sense. Like, when you read it, you're like, yeah, it, it makes sense to understand these things about Voldemort. And obviously, in their case, it, it's very uniquely helpful because Voldemort's a really weird guy and... <laughs> As someone who had no friends and no love or whatever, he just took his love into objects. And so he really gave himself away with these memories as to where his Heracroxes were. I don't know. I think that for someone like Voldemort, who's supposedly like this very strong and powerful and brilliant wizard who got to power, he's pretty stupid for putting <laughs> his soul into a bunch of objects that people could easily guess of him. But whatever. All right, another big theme in this one was, is Snape good or bad? Whose side is Snape on? And uh, I'm, I'm going to talk about this more at the end because I want to do a prediction for the next book. But I, I do have a theory that Snape and Dumbledore are like huge masterminds and that uh, everyone else is the ones being fooled. But, you know, you know, who knows? I can't really say that for sure. I don't know what happens in the next book. But it's just funny how everyone thinks they're right about where Snape is aligned. When I think that like, the only people who truly know where Snape is at with his heart and his desires or whatever is Dumbledore and him. But yeah, uh, so on top of all these things, Harry is also the Quidditch captain 
And uh, again, he faces these normal problems on top of all these life-threatening and great adventures that he's on. I mean, Harry has to try and and get uh, his team members chosen for the new team. And he has this, like, dilemma because, like, Ron's one of his best friends, but he low-key is not the best of players. And there are better players out there, but Harry wants his friend on the team because he doesn't want to kick his friend off the team because that's awkward and could really hurt your friendship. So, I don't know. Just another example of, of Harry going through all these normal problems on top of all this extra stuff in his life. I really love the part of the book where he pretends to give the the Felix lucky potion to Ron and it's just like a placebo effect like he didn't actually give it to him but he was so convinced that he had that he did really good. That was cute. But <laughs> yeah, uh more more story background cuz like I said this one is just a lot. There's also Slughorn who's like constantly having these secret meetings with like really top kids trying to get close to Harry because he likes powerful people who are connected. He's just super into networking, I guess, which, I don't know, it was weird, but his need to be close to powerful and brilliant and whatever people, it it made him really dumb, and dumb enough to teach Voldemort the way of Horcruxes, which is just, I don't know, it's just funny when you find out, like, this guy who's just weird and kind of greedy and I don't know, way too into to caring about what people can offer him instead of who he's around really is the one that got Voldemort to the position he's in now. And I think in general, the Horcruxes, I could be saying that terribly wrong, and if I am, then I'm sorry, I, I, but <laughs> they're quite the concept. Like, I don't know, the fact that Voldemort had to kill so much to tear himself apart to become immortal, that's a creative concept. But uh, I thought that the fact that he used these trophies, like I was talking about earlier, like the stuff that he stole and the stuff that's relevant to him to hide his soul, I thought that was pretty fantastic. That's some that's some serious serial killer stuff right there. Like, I feel like, you know, you watch Criminal Minds and all that, and they're always talking about how serial killers have trophies, and I don't know. So I guess Voldemort's, even though he's a huge, powerful wizard, he's not above the average serial killer, which is just funny to me. I don't know. <laughs> but yeah. I, and on top of that, with, like, Voldemort being evil and all, I think it is fantastic that the ability to love is always Dumbledore's go-to defense. Like, it's always his answer. And, and at some point, Harry actually gets really annoyed with it because he's like, what, don't, are you going to tell me that love, love is it? Love is the thing that's going to pull me above Voldemort? And Dumbledore's like, well, yeah, that's, yeah, that's exactly it, actually. <laughs> You know, he's obviously right. Like, it is Voldemort's greatest downfall that he's close to no one. He loves no one. He just, he's decided to live this angry, bitter life devoid of love. And that's his downfall. That's his fault. That's literally the reason that Harry is alive. So, yeah. Like, the fact that the love and the sacrifice is what saved Harry, it just goes to show that, yes, love was better than the hate. Obviously, Harry and Voldemort do have a lot in common growing up without their parents, but Voldemort turned to hate, and Harry is this kind guy who is more so a grateful, loving person for his life, like, especially given the life that Harry was given. It's a nice little, like, I don't know, lesson point, whatever, that we can, we can choose our way, we can choose how we, if we love or hate, just like we can, like, choose our own misery. Like, Voldemort could have made friends. He could have learned to try to forgive the world for the way that he was brought up and for the opportunities he wasn't given initially. Like, Harry worked hard to do those things. I mean, 
Harry's very grateful for the new family that he has with the Weasleys. He's very grateful for his friends. He's very grateful for Hogwarts. He's very grateful for having Dumbledore. He seems to put himself more in this position. And you can see it a lot in the books. Like, he doesn't really talk about the Dursleys anymore. He's left them in the past. That was a bad part of his life he didn't like. And when he has to go back to it, he's not the happiest about it. But he's, after he started getting these things and being really grateful for them and, and just really letting himself enjoy the good things that he was given even though he didn't have the good stuff initially like he was given it eventually and he was really grateful for it he didn't let himself stay bitter he moved on to better things even now he can st he can stand the Dursleys like he seems like fine with them I mean he's kind of moved on from that part of his life and, and Voldemort had every opportunity to do the same thing I mean he was literally given the same chance around the same time that Harry was the same age but instead of letting himself open up and enjoy the new place and find friends and, and a home there, he just became a bitter, weird freak <laughs> with the new Death Eater followers. So, yeah, I just think it's cool that, that you kind of get that parallel between Harry and Voldemort and you really get to see uh, through those adventures that he took with Dumbledore. You really get to see that he is so similar to Harry, but he handled the situation so differently. And that's where the big difference comes between Harry and Voldemort because Voldemort was always greedy and and looking to looking for revenge and looking in all the wrong places when he could have learned to forgive and move on and really enjoy his powers and enjoy his life in the wizarding world he just chose to feel resentment towards everyone and to seek revenge overall so yeah that's i think that's a really nice that's kind of my takeaway from most of that story yeah i mean in the ending harry was totally right like draco draco whatever draco is a death eater but he doesn't seem to be so keen on actually doing the work this is another another fun little thing um i think you get in this message of like how you grow up and and your choices in life and all that because like i said harry had a rougher upbringing but he was given an opportunity and a chance to get out of that and he took it voldemort didn't but Dr draco he's a death eater and like I said, he doesn't really seem so keen on doing the work, obviously, when it comes down to the moment where he can kill Dumbledore. He's about lowering his wand, basically admitting that he won't do it. But he talked a great deal about his mission. He talked all this smack. He was so excited. like, But, but he cowered it when it came down to the moment. And he realized that he probably wasn't capable of murder, especially to Dumbledore. And you kind of feel for him because you realize that he kind of grew up without much of a chance. I think it's definitely how you're supposed to feel about him around that point. Like, yes, he's not the best. He brought the Death Eaters into the castle. He was talking all this smack. He's never been that nice to Harry. But when you think about it, like, where were his where were his chances? Like, his dad's a Death Eater. His mom also, you know, obviously has to follow in the ways of Voldemort. Like, what, what was his options? Voldemort's super powerful and will kill my whole family if I don't. Like, he's literally crying in the book um they find him crying with moaning myrtle and although we never really get to hear what the conversations he had with her are you can imagine that the stress of everything he's going through and the gravity of it is what was getting to the kid like he really felt like he had no choice he even says that to dumbledore when he's face to face with him getting ready to kill him like you don't understand like i have no choice like i have to kill you or he's gonna kill my whole family and dumbledore does try to tell him like oh we'll protect you if you come to the right side like will always have your back but like this this kid's a kid and he's scared of the most powerful wizard in the world coming after him so yeah i don't know i i felt for him at the end of that which i thought was weird because I, I never wanted to feel for him i didn't like him very much but i mean he didn't choose that path he didn't choose his family to be all death eaters and then he was the chosen one by voldemort i mean really what, what are you gonna say to the most powerful wizard who has 
his soul split in many parts around the world. And his mom's not really keen on him doing this mission either. Like, this whole family, in a sense, they're pretty normal. And they don't, like, you can kind of tell they really don't want to follow Voldemort. But they just feel like they have no other way. It's quite sad. <laughs> you get that feeling from a lot of the Death Eaters and stuff. But I mean, Voldemort's not close to anyone. Even the people who think, like, they're under this delusion that, like, Voldemort's like, oh, you're his favorite, or you're the best one, and, like, Voldemort values you. Like, yeah, Voldemort doesn't value you worth shit. He just wants you there for his mission. And I think a lot of the Death Eaters, they definitely know that. But, like, where, where do they turn? They're already Death Eaters. Anyways. <laughs> That's kind of my thoughts on that. But we'll get on to one of the last sections now. The, the movie comparison. I watched the movie just last night. For sure, this movie was, like, a redemption movie to me. Like, I, I really was starting to dislike the movies and not, I, I was less keen on having to watch this movie because I just really wasn't a fan of the movies and I didn't think they were that great. I th thought they were hard to follow and, and honestly just not that interesting because of how much they left out from the books. But this movie was really good. It was the best so far, in my opinion. Of course, like the other ones, it really wasn't 100% accurate. There were still plenty of changes to make the story fit a good time length, but they were fine, in my opinion. Like, I think... The visuals in this one were beautiful, the story felt easier to follow, and I truly enjoyed watching it. Like, I didn't mind that some things were a bit different, I didn't mind that some storylines were put on the sideline. For the most part, everything that was relevant and, and important to the story ended up in the story. Of course, some things were a bit different, some things felt really rushed as usual, because like, you get this long book to drag out all these details, and then you try to squeeze it into a two and a half hour movie, and, and you do have to cut back I don't know how long I spent reading this book but it was hours and hours and hours and hours so it makes sense that you couldn't get all of it in the two and a half hours but like I said this one was really good I don't have much complaints on the movie I think it was a solid film yeah I I really enjoyed this one <laughs> I, I did notice some some big changes or some slightly big changes and the biggest changes were the feel of the characters and I've said this before but I'm really really starting to notice it because I feel like after reading six books, I feel really, like, I understand the characters in the book very well, but I think that the characters in the movie aren't quite the same as the book, and for me, especially, Dumbledore is one of them. It's not a terribly big difference, but in the book, he does seem, I don't know, maybe a bit softer, in a sense. Like, that's not the right word, probably, but it's the, whole, it's the closest word I can find to what I'm thinking. Like, Dumbledore in the books, I love Dumbledore in the movie too, but I really like Dumbledore in the books, probably just because there's more of him in the books because the books are longer, but he feels a little different to me. You know who feels the most different though is Hagrid, all right? Hagrid feels so different in the movies versus the book. I think that Hagrid is definitely softer in the books, and he's also a lot more emotional in the books and obviously more present uh, because the books are longer, there's more detail, you get a lot more Hagrid in the books than you do in the movies, but yeah, Hagrid in the books is definitely more emotional, more open, you, you know more about Hagrid, Hagrid's teaching this class, and you know, in the books, it's kind of this joke that, like, Hagrid's not the best teacher, and they kind of don't want him to be their teacher, but they're, like, good friends, so they pretend that he's not, like, a terrible teacher, and they end up in their, like, later years since they can choose their classes now not taking his class and like he's all emotional about that in the book and he starts to kind of ignore them and be sad about it but they end up making up with him like there's like a, he's a very emotional character and he's a very vulnerable character in the books oh that is one thing that's not i mean they showed the giant in the last one but they didn't really bring up the giant in this one anyhow yeah like we get a lot less haggard in the movies and it's a very different feeling haggard i think 
I 100% prefer the Hagrid in the books. And yeah, he's he's just the he's just the character that I just like honestly feel like is not the same character from the book. Like they changed him for sure just to make him a movie a bull character, I guess, but yeah. And uh, of course, again, there's no peeves. And there's really not much ghost in this one in general. Even though, like I said, Dra- Draco was supposed to be crying with Moaning Myrtle in the bathroom. That didn't happen this time. He's just kind of crying there by himself. But whatever. We still get emotional Draco, so that's fine. Another, I think the last change that I really found notable was the love thing with Ron and Hermione. It just felt really obvious in the movies. I mean, obviously that makes sense. Like, movies are supposed to be more dramatic and, and drama-driven and all that. But yeah, it just felt really obvious. Like, so, like, it's obviously obvious in the books, but in the movie, it's just, like, really down your throat, which is interesting. And then Harry's, you know, crushing on Guinea for a lot longer in the book, but they kind of get together really fast in the movie, which I think kind of ruined that arc a little bit. I thought it was it was well done in the book. It was way better done in the book, but in the movie, it just kind of felt rushed. Like, in the last movie, we wouldn't have thought one bit that Harry was into this girl, but a few minutes into this movie, and it's painfully obvious. I just, I thought it was really rushed. But uh, again, things have to be cut and shortened to make the movie fit, so I'm not mad about it. I just wanted to point it out. But all right, <laughs> I'm going to get into the predictions now. So I'm going to give the biggest spoiler yet. So if you really know nothing about Harry Potter, as I didn't, and you have no idea about what I might say next, stop now but if if not i cannot believe that i managed to avoid this spoiler all these years like i really avoided this spoiler amazing anyways <laughs> i'm not gonna avoid the topic anymore it's dumbledore's death like damn <laughs> all right how did i don't know i don't know how i've gone all these years without having any clue that dumbledore was gonna die in this book but i had no clue that was gonna happen and when it did happen i was kind of like I, sh- I was shook like Dumbledore like I was like at first I was like no no no, it's not real like they're gonna go down there and Dumbledore's still alive and I don't know maybe he had some weird shield on that bounces off the curse or maybe maybe Snape said the curse with a slightly wrong intonation so it looked like it worked but it didn't nope none of that happened Dumbledore's dead (laughs) all right so once I got over the fact that it wasn't going to be oh Dumbledore's still alive I I did come up with my own little theory and this is where I'm going to put in my prediction for the next book all right i could be totally wrong i could not be we'll find out and this is documented proof because i haven't read the book yet and i promise you i don't know what's gonna happen next but this is just an educated guest based off of reading these six books over the last three months all right basically i think dumbledore planned all of this and it was kind of like a sacrifice to him for the greater good of things i think that dumbledore definitely does trust Snape for a reason and I think Dumbledore is probably right to trust Snape. I think that Dumbledore has requested Snape to kill him given the circumstances. I mean Dumbledore said it himself. He had every idea that Draco was a Death Eater. He knew what was happening in his castle. He's not unaware. He's this really smart wizard. Draco did not outsmart Dumbledore. Not even a little. I don't believe that. What I think is is that Dumbledore realized that in order to get to Voldemort, he needs his best spy to remain his best spy. And if he, if, if for some way, like, Snape were to save Dumbledore or allow Dumbledore to, to live after the plan was set to kill Dumbledore, it would probably look really suspicious in Voldemort's eyes and he would no longer trust the greatest spy that the good side has, question mark. So basically, I, I do think that to him, dying 
in Snape's from Snape's hand was probably the best way to ensure that the spy would stay there, which in the end would probably lead to the the greater good, right? Like Harry's gonna get to Voldemort somehow through Snape. I don't know. It's just my prediction. I don't I don't know if I'm explaining this very right, but what I think is is that I do think that Snape is still good. I think that he's just an incredibly good spy and was willing to go very far to live out Dumbledore's mission. I mean, the whole point of all of this is to take down the greatest wizard that ever was, so I guess there's gonna have to be extreme sacrifices, extreme measures taken to ensure that Voldemort gets taken down. That's just my thought, though. I don't know. I could be totally wrong. Snape could be a terrible character who just killed Dumbledore, and Dumbledore knew what he was doing the whole time, but Snape had no idea that he was helping. But the only reason I think that Snape is totally in on it was because he was begging Snape before he died, and I don't think he was begging Snape to save him. I think he was begging Snape to kill him, because obviously if Snape was actually loyal to Dumbledore, that would have been a very hard thing to do, to just kill him in cold blood right there and then walk away and pretend as if it didn't hurt him at all just for the sake of being a spy. That's just a thought. I don't know. <laughs> so that's my prediction for the next book. It's probably going to take me a little a little while to get through this last one. I predict it'll be by the end of the month that I'm done, just because I have a few other books to read too. But I am really, really, really excited to finish this now, just because I want to know if I'm right or not. And also, since this last movie was really good, I'm excited to see how number seven holds up. And that's that's that. I end this series with a discussion question, so before I go... I'm going to give out a question, and it'll be linked below in the description, <laughs> the Goodreads page where you could answer this question. If you want to get in on the discussion, you can totally talk about anything you want from this book in the discussion, but I just have a question just because that's, that's how this works. <laughs> Jealousy. It's a growing theme as the main characters start to catch feelings for each other. Why do you think Ron got involved with Lavender? Why does Harry hold back his growing feelings for Ginny for so long? And why do you think it's taking so long for Ron and Hermione to admit their feelings to each other? Now, I don't, I don't know if I have, like, perfect answers to any of these. I just think they're interesting questions. But I will say that, um, why do I think Ron got involved in Lavender? Because Ron's at that age where he just wants to, you know, explore his feelings towards people and this girl was like all up into him and so he was like well why not but I don't think he was ever into into Lavender like that I don't know if maybe part of Ron thought that it would make Hermione jealous in a sense to get her to want to be with him I don't know I don't know if if he was thinking that way at all but I do think that he was just acting on impulse she was an easy choice for him he was like well why not and he obviously, since he hadn't really done anything with Hermione, felt like he wasn't totally in the wrong. Although I definitely think that by his actions in the book and stuff, you could tell that he knows what he's doing is wrong. I don't really know why he has this weird vengefulness towards Hermione. Like he doesn't, like he's acting like he doesn't care about her feelings. I don't know. It's really weird, especially because they've dropped so many hints to each other in the last few books. But why does Harry hold back his feelings for Ginny for so long? I don't know if I'm saying that right ever. But... I think that he, I mean, obviously, that's his best friend's sister, and he's just worried that it'll get in the way of his friendship with Ron. Like, Ron obviously is not too fond of seeing his sister with boys because that's his younger sister, and he feels like this odd feeling to protect her or whatever, which she blatantly says in the book, like, fuck off, I'm old enough to make these choices. But Harry's nervous because he can see how Ron gets about these guys that his sister's dating, and he doesn't want his best mate to, like, hate him because he's into his sister so it's totally understandable why he was so scared to like admit his feelings for her because he didn't want 
Ron to get all offended. But I just thought it was interesting. Like, he spends all this time thinking, like, Ron's going to hate me or something. And he's, like, really nervous for it. And he, he even considers using that luck spell just to get with her <laughs> and have Ron approve of it. But it doesn't take that. They just win a Quidditch match and then bam it happens and ron's totally cool with it and i just thought it was funny how underwhelming that scene was considering like harry's like really into her and like wants to do this but like he's just scared and then yeah they win a match they kiss ron doesn't give a shit and that's that <laughs> so yeah and the last one why why do you think it's taking so long for ron and hermione to admit their feelings i don't know they're incredibly childish like <laughs> they obviously like each other they dropped the hints many times but they've been friends since they first went off to Hogwarts together. They were little when they started this together. I mean, you watch the movies and you can you can really start to feel it more in the movies than you can when you read it. Obviously, seeing them as little kids versus seeing them as adults. It's very visual representation of how much they've matured and how much the characters are maturing in the books. I mean, it's, it's easy for me when I'm reading the books to like hear that they're getting older, but I don't really see them as that much older in my head because they're books and also I'm reading them back to back to back so really there's no time gap for me but when I'm watching the movies and really see how different they all look then I, I really start to get this understanding that wow yeah this has been a very long time for these characters <laughs> and obviously they've been friends for so long that I guess it's probably weird to them to have to switch the gears and admit they have feels and try things out and also it totally makes sense I mean with with Harry and uh Guinea or whatever it's not as high consequential like yes they've known each other just as long but that's not her like that's not his best friend his best friend is ron and hermione that's just someone he's been really friendly with for a long time but with ron and hermione you know they are best friends and if they choose to do something about what they're feeling they, they do kind of run that risk of well if it doesn't work out like how do you go back to being normal friends which i mean I don't know say as you will about that but <laughs> that's why I think that they don't want to do it like it is to them it seems pretty risky to put the moves out there and to do things about it and it's like when when is the right time to do something like that to make that kind of move and who makes the move right like you can tell that Hermione sometimes put these puts these hints out there and gives her on these moments where he could where he could easily admit first but I guess she doesn't want to admit it first and neither does he so it's like if neither of them are willing to to make that move it's just never gonna happen so yeah <laughs> if you listen for this long uh, thanks for listening a lot <laughs> i appreciate it this is kind of rambly but i really i really enjoy this series i'm really happy with it so far i'm glad i decided to do this it's been really good and really fun and book six is done so there's only one more book left and i'm really really excited to finish this series and i hope you're enjoying this series too because i do plan to do a recap of book seven and then after that i kind of want to do a few more podcasts about it i don't know exactly what they're going to be but i'll definitely do like a recap of all of them at the end or like a, a, a series review or something at the very end then I might do some individual talks about certain characters if I feel so inclined to do so. <laughs> but, you know, if you have any requests for that kind of thing, let me know in the Goodreads or description or however you could possibly reach me, I guess. Thanks for listening, and until next time, let's stay psyched about reading. <laughs>